0: It is finally we are actually go- going to talk about the movie, um, the only movie ever made, uh, in 1973 starring Bo- featuring Bob Dylan, and that's Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid.
1: Sure is. And on that note, welcome to Joker Man.
0: Welcome to, yes, welcome to Joker Man, a podcast about Bob Dylan,
1: yes, which is why we're talking about Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Uh, because our, our good buddy Bob had a, not a starring turn necessarily, but, um, supporting, supporting role, I would say.
0: Sure. Sure. Supporting Billy in the, in the story. Right. In some fashion. He's kind of on Billy's side, I would say. He's
1: for some amount of time. Yeah, I mean he he seems to kind of drift. Well, I mean we we we'll we'll get into this we'll as get we get into, into the uh, as we get into the plot. But yeah, uh so this is uh, an atypical episode of Jokerman uh, in that we are talking about the motion picture instead of um instead of the record or any other record.
0: Right. This is Jokerman at the movies. Yes. <laughs> We're going to be using the three-star rating system using the three-star rating system to talk about our ideas about this movie.
1: All right, that's fair. But yeah, I mean, it, uh this was a movie that neither of us had seen before, right? You hadn't seen it before?
0: I hadn't, no. And yeah. w- one could argue that neither of us still have actually really seen this movie because, uh, sadly, we were not able to view the director's cut or the... uh the other sort of special edition that features uh more footage more of what this movie was intended to be by Sam Peckinpah um famously this film was butchered deeply uh compromised by studio meddling and so we just watched the uh the peasant version the average joe theatrical
1: release i i think i actually saw not the director's cut but the special edition the, uh-huh. the one on itunes that was uh i think it's like 115 minutes the one on amazon looked like it was about 106 or something like that which which matches up with the theatrical cut huh what's the what's the runtime on the amazon one
0: the runtime of the one that i watched is an hour and 42 minutes
1: Hour and forty two, yeah. So that's that's the theatrical cut, right? Um, the the special edition is one hundred and fifteen minutes, so like you know, just short of two hours. Um, and then the you know, quote unquote director's cut, um, or actual initial cut is just over two hours, hundred and twenty two minutes. Uh, so you and I, I think, have viewed slightly different experiences. Wow! If only we knew, uh, in what ways it was different. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's just gonna add some more texture and fun to this. Experience of uh, talking these these films, this film through.
1: Yeah, yeah, should be a, an interesting conflict of opinions based on these different cuts. It probably won't be the case. Um, a,
0: a beautiful mandala of opinions.
1: <laughs> well, before before we start talking about the movie itself, I, I thought it would be interesting just to like kind of chat about like Bob Bob's history uh as an actor um and his his uh roles in movies um both you know fictional and dramatic like this as well as uh you know uh, documentaries um which are um maybe a little more well known for him obviously um but yeah this was uh, I'm, I'm looking at the IMDb right now um sorry for uh, giving uh, away your, our trade secrets. Yeah, I should have kept that quiet. Uh this is actually a very rare, uh difficult to find uh book that enumerates all of Bob's uh acting credits throughout his life. Yeah. Uh, it was only only yeah. released in uh Portugal <laughs> uh you know in, in the early nineties. Um but yeah, this this uh this was basically his first dramatic role um uh up until you know whenever it came out in 72. Um, and I, I think beyond that, it's really kind of, really kind of it, um, as far as fictional movies kind of go. Um, the next one, uh, that we might be aware of, or, or that I'm, some people are, are probably aware of is Ronaldo and Clara, um, from 78, um, in which Bob plays the role of Ronaldo, Um. But it's, it's, that, that's really more of sort of a tour, uh, documentary, uh, for the Rolling Thunder Review concert. Um, and he's kind of playing a part, but it's, you know, it's, it's not really a dramatic story.
0: I think you may have spoken too soon because Masked and Anonymous and Hearts of Fire, uh, those are movies where Bob will actually be front and center as an actor. They don't happen uh, until, um, See, Mask Anonymous is 2003, and Hearts of Fire is 1987. Right,
1: and, right. And these are um,
0: these are movies where Bob Dylan is on the poster. These are this is Dylan acting. He but, is um,
1: the star of the
2: show.
0: But you are right in that there's not there's you know those are few and far between. I think there's only those those two, and then you you could say and then Ronaldo and Clara and uh, and this one here that we're about to discuss. But this is yeah. what. This is like the Snow White, uh, uh, you know, for the, for the Disney films, the Disney cartoons. Snow White, you know, kind of be, began everything, and and now, Pat Garrett and Billy Kid is is the start of Dylan at the at the movies.
1: Dylan at the movies, um, well, Dylan at the movies in a dramatic kind of role because obviously we had um, Don't Look, look at, Back, yeah, Don't Look Back
0: at, is. Is Dylan at the art house documentary cinema? But sure. um,
1: Dylan at the Angelica,
0: right? Dylan at Metrograph. <laughs> but yeah, this is the first big, big Hollywood t- style production.
1: Yeah, um, I wonder. I wonder. I wonder. I like the, the. This particular moment in time seems interesting to me for like him. Having chosen to uh go and get involved in a Hollywood production, like you said, I wonder if uh, i wish I wish I had more insight into this i don't know if you do um but uh like just kind of what what would have compelled him and made him think that this was the right you know the right kind of thing to do at this moment in time because other other people obviously like Bowie for instance like actively you know had um, you know it was a couple of years after this but um had a, a more not storied career, but a more successful kind of career, you know, acting in, in movies and stuff. Right. Um, it makes sense for him, you know, in the sense that he's a much more uh, showman kind of character than, than Bob. But, uh, even still, it seems, I don't know, uh, like knowing, knowing where he's at, where Bob is at in 1972, um, or 73, I guess when the movie comes out, um, seems like a curious, kind of choice that he would be like you know yeah I'm, I'm ready to start like you know being on the silver screen uh even for someone as talented as uh, sam peckinpah uh,
0: i i mean with with an example like bowie it's kind of uh apples and oranges because bowie was an actor before he was a a musician almost he was a interested in the theater he was a doing mime and things like that but um, and he
1: always played characters as well like when the albums came out and stuff he went through the ziggy stardust phase he went through the thin white duke phase he went through the you know berlin kind of dracula phase but yeah bob never really like took on these personas necessarily as as the records came out i mean i guess you could say to an extent he did a little bit like the christian thing for instance but He wasn't, um, it it wasn't the same kind of um, theatricality.
0: No, and I I think that Bob is always playing himself. Um, Different versions of himself, sure, but I think he's always Bob Dylan. He would never put on any kind of moniker other than Bob Dylan. It's possible to look at Bob Dylan as an extended performance of Bob Dylan. I mean,. That's not his real name right I guess um, Bob
1: Dylan is a, is a is a stage name for Robert Zimmerman in the first place
0: and so without without looking too hard and under a microscope my uh my layman's view of why Bob Dylan chose to do this movie it seems to be like just a confluence of his interests uh americana western's movies in general, the opportunity to be involved creatively with one of these things with a director who he respected um, and the story of Billy, the kid, even if we're just looking at the music that Bob Dylan's put around this time put out around the early seventies, a good chunk of it seems to revolve around these cowboy type themes and visuals, even um, trippy cowboy, (laughs) cowboy visuals. Um,
1: yeah, I guess Billy, Billy seems like the kind of person or the kind of guy that he would have written a song about or something on John Wesley Harding almost, um, you know, that, that kind of like tragic doomed, um, American cowboy archetype, uh, put down by the lawman. Um, well, not to, not to spoil the motion picture, but yeah,
0: it's just called Pat Garrett and Billy the kid, not Pat Garrett kills Billy the kid. But um, that is what happens. It's how we get to that place, though, that is what's interesting about the film. And uh, another reason why Bob might have wanted to do it is that on paper, it just sounds great. One of the the biggest legends of the Wild West, as fate would have it, being chased and hunted by a a one-time friend at the behest of the forces of encroaching capitalism on the Mm -hmm. uh, wilds of America. It's got everything you'd want um, on paper. It was unfortunately extremely troubled production, um, which was kind of rough luck for Bob to maybe be his first time involved in a major film. And he's got the director getting fired from the, from the job and, you know blackout drunk most of the time um the funding being slashed uh crazy things happened during this film
1: yeah it uh Pond definitely seems to have been one of those um uh, the rough and rowdy characters to use a term uh that didn't didn't fit so neatly into the um the Hollywood studio system, especially back, you know, when the studios were running things more, um, and, uh, looking for clearer return on investment on, you know, a motion picture like this that, uh, I think it only costs $11 million or something to, to, uh, to fund, uh, which, you know, obviously for inflation would, would go up some ways, but still not, still not a terribly expensive, um, motion picture but it was, you know, just it was something that they needed to make their money on at the end of the day and and the movie failed to do that perhaps because uh it well, was such a troubled uh shoot and the final cut was, you know, kind of fucked up beyond all recognition.
0: Basically the main villain of this whole production who was a, an MGM executive James Aubrey was the sort of cheapskate MGM executive Who was in charge of transitioning the studio um, into the hotel industry, actually? The MGM Grand was being established. So this film became the victim of brusque and thoughtless, artless, really, uh, business choices.
1: Yeah, in that way, the subject matter kind of reflects the production. Um...
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a movie about the forces of capitalism destroying the last bit of charming wildness in the West um, and that charming wildness is personified by the character of Billy played by Chris Christopherson on that note we, we should uh, we should hop on our horse and uh, giddy up giddy up to begin uh, speaking about the film
1: Yeah, so the movie uh, uh, begins, at least the version of the movie that I saw, I'm going to assume that um, most of these beats were mostly the same, uh, give or take, you know, some more minor scenes, uh, begins uh, sort of in uh, in media res at the very end of Pat Garrett's life as he's kind of traipsing through the desert um, in 1909, I think. Damn, Um, Mine,
0: mine did not begin that way. Did it not? No, the version what? I saw, the the, <laughs> the butchered theatrical version which I saw, begins with like a very abrupt cut to them, uh, to like a western uh, little town, and they're all shooting chickens. Um, Pat Carrot's shooting chickens that are buried to their necks, and uh, then they're eating chicken.
1: So that was the very first scene for you. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, we're <laughs> we're already up to a rollicking start here. So, yeah, um,
0: yeah, the, yours begins with with the end of Pat Garrett's life.
1: Yeah, it's sort of a uh, you know, it, it begins at the end of Pat um in 1909 and um he ends up uh being assassinated by um someone we, we're not sure who, but we'll we'll come to uh, discover who later on. Um and uh and it's sort of intercut with this um uh, with the scene that you're talking about where uh, Billy and his gang of of goons are kind of uh, taking target practice with these chickens uh, that are buried up to their heads. Um, but yeah, at, the, at the, the very beginning, the outset of the movie, Pat is assassinated. And so we need to find out what the significance of this is and, and how we how we get to that point. God, so that, that's, that's kind of the idea that's set up.
0: That's already so much better. (laughs) That is so much more interesting than just starting off with like this random scene where James uh, Coburn, who plays Pat Garrett wanders up to Billy and they shoot at these chickens, eat some chicken. And then Pat takes Billy aside and they, they go into this cantina and he sits him down and tells him the new elected officials they want you gone they want you out of the country billy's like uh, are you do they are, is this a request or is this a demand and then uh pat says basically you know as you know he's now the sheriff he's a new sheriff in town um that d- despite their history he says i'm uh, giving you a head start basically a few days but then i'm going to come for you
1: right and then the opening credits roll yeah
0: and the song plays
1: uh but yeah that was uh you you mentioned that they, that conversation took place in a cantina uh and this this was the instance of the cantina theme from the record that we discussed um, that's right I, I guess just like very general impressions of the music uh, uh, uh the use in the movie i it could have been <laughs> could have been done better as as far as i'm concerned a, a lot of it seems a little um uh haphazard or arbitrary uh the way that it's used and uh i remember when we were talking about the album last time you know we we both kind of said like oh you know maybe once we've seen the movie and seen how the music kind of fits in uh it'll make it'll make a little more sense and and be a little more significant or resonant um and is, uh, to be to be honest <laughs> i don't know how true that ended up being
0: yeah i also agree with you that it feels a little bit yeah a little haphazard Quirky, I guess, is like the positive swing on on how it's used, but uh, maybe just kind of random is the negative.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, like it, it's it's very easy to, um, well, for me at least, like I uh, the the touch point or the, or the touchstone that you compare this against, um, especially right now, considering uh, he just passed away this last week, um, is um, uh, Morcone, and his work for soundtracks on, like, the Sergio Leone westerns and stuff. um, And the way that, like... The way that that music, like, reinforces what's going on on screen and really kind of, like, uh, really throws it into stark relief and, and dramatizes it and, like, kind of is seared into your mind along with whatever you're seeing. It's It's just as important as the action and the acting itself.
0: I actually... The more I think about it and sort of ruminate on the use of the music in this, I actually do think I like it I, because it has some kind of weird friction with the action on the screen at various points rather mm-hmm. than just be completely parallel with it. And I think that can give a little bit of room for thought on bigger themes. Hmm.
1: I just I, I see what you're saying, I I guess that's an interesting way of thinking about it. I just like I, I wanted there to be a deeper kind of tie between what was happening on on the screen and what, what Bob's music was uh, you know, kind of reinforcing orally. Um and especially like with a song like Knockin' on Heaven's Door, for instance, um, and even, you know, the couple versions of Billy which are are um uh Good songs, I think certainly, um you know that those songs are really really strong and powerful for me, just listening to them as songs, and uh I don't know the way the way that that they, they were deployed in the uh in the movie, I don't know, it just just left something to be desired, interestingly, apparently, Peck and pock kind of resented Dylan's participation or came to resent Dylan's participation at one point. that seems like it could have played a role um in. Uh, the way that the music was used, um, Peckinpah believed that uh, apparently believed that Dylan was kind of uh, foisted onto this uh, mm. movie because he was a you know he's Bob Dylan and the studio wanted kind of a big exciting reason to get people in to theater seats. I don't know may- maybe he wanted to deliberately undercut the music that was provided for him, but uh, if he did, you know it, it it ended up I think working to the detriment of the overall overall vibe.
0: That's interesting. I mean, I can sympathize with Peck and Paw to a degree there. If it, it seems like he was given nothing but shit in terms of the the studio attitude.
1: Yeah, that's fair. But uh, at the same time, Peck and Paw, I think, did again, according to the, the, the little uh, information that we actually have, he he willingly kind of asked Dylan to participate at least initially for the soundtrack. Um, maybe maybe the studio kind of took that and ran with it once they heard Bob was going to record the music and, and someone got excited yes. and said like, Oh, let's put him in the movie too. Um,
0: something, uh, probably, I mean, maybe not so polite to note, but, um, for what it's worth, um, uh, paw had a, a debilitating drug and alcohol problem, which maybe accounts for some of the, contradictions of his choices sure. <laughs> maybe it's a, a fool's errand to try to parse like at which points Paw was pro or anti bob there's a a funny story that i read so uh apparently some information about peckinpah's uh habits it, it got it got its way around uh hollywood basically people knew what was up and and so peckinpah took out a full page ad in the hollywood reporter with a photograph of himself on a stretcher uh carried by the cast and crew and there's a, a bottle of of scotch being fed into an iv in his arm didn't go over well with the uh the people at the studio i'm sure
1: yeah i can't imagine
0: yeah. anyway we let's let's hop back onto, <laughs> oh, we got off the horse. I get, we get back on the horse. We yeah, keep we, clip
1: clopping along. Exactly. We get, get back up to a trot. Yeah. Opening credits roll. Right. Uh, after, after Pat and Billy have their kind of sit down in the cantina. And then I
0: like this part before we go on. One of these goons asks Billy, like, why don't you just kill Pat Garrett? He just told you he's going to get you. Hmm christopherson as billy says uh why would i kill him he's my friend
1: (laughs) it's a a good point why you you don't want to kill your friend uh but yeah it's an it's an interesting dynamic i think that's set up and i don't know how true to life that necessarily was uh you know whether there was much of a deep friendship a previous friendship between pat garrett and billy the Kid um but in the movie at least it's uh, it's set up as you know the these guys have a sort of uh a familiarity with one another an appreciation for one another um that is uh, that is uh, encroached upon by the demands of like you said capital and the law um uh, which uh, which makes for a dramatic kind of um clash within pat himself but, yeah, so so we uh, they have their meeting in the cantina, and then, for me at least, uh, after the opening credits roll, we jump to a couple days down the line, Billy is holed up in a little shack with a couple friends, and Pat and his posse are uh, creeping down right uh, the mountain to ambush him uh, because Billy has overstayed his... Uh, his the, the, the
0: agreed-upon five days.
1: Exactly. And uh, uh,
0: one of these dudes looks a lot like David Foster Wallace. <laughs> and he, he, he promptly gets perforated by uh, Pat Garrett and his posse, and there's sort of a a desperate little shootout that goes on. The blood in this movie um, is very red, very bright, red as a fire engine. It is, it is <laughs> ketchup. It is tomato sauce red, and uh, that's fun to see. Um,
1: yeah, I I always appreciate that
0: it's uh very theatrical um anyway after this shootout billy is is captured he billy yep. is taken with uh with arms wide open he stands and um <laughs> he uh he's taken by the law and pat at this point uh looks pretty cool he's he's got all black like sheriff's gear on yeah we should do a little brief description of these how these how these men appear on screen um chris christopherson just looks like like a cartoon of a like of a football playing hunk (laughs) he just looks like hercules
1: it, he's very, but he's, he's very like doughy, I would say. Lots, just lots of, lots yeah. of flesh all, all about him.
0: But he looks great. He looks like, if you had one word to describe him, I would say uh, healthy. He looks sure. like a, fu- <laughs> health, a very health. healthy boy.
1: Robust.
0: Uh, yeah. Um, he's got this, you know, great smile on Chris Christofferson, sparkle in his eye. And uh, we last saw Chris Christofferson. We last talked about him on this podcast when we mentioned that he was responsible for holding the percussion instruments on lay lady lay, because he was working as a janitor at That's uh, right. I forgot the, about studio that. the studio during national skyline. Um, so the, the, they meet again, Bob and Chris anyway, Pat Garrett played by James Coburn also has a very rugged, a different sort of manly appearance. He looks more um, grave and serious. Uh, very cool much of the time. Uh, yeah.
1: He's tall, kind of reedy. Uh, got a good mustache um, uh, going throughout most of the, most of the picture on and, had, and off mustache. on and off. Yeah. It comes and goes. Uh, but like you said, in this particular scene, he looks, he, he looks like uh uh, just like kind of a, a country badass, like black, all black head to toe in the presumably scorching New Mexico desert. Uh, and he's got a nice Stetson. Or, eh, no, I don't think it's a Stetson. It's like a flat brimmed or flat, flat top cowboy hat. I don't know what the exact terminology for all of it is. But uh, yeah, he looks he looks like he's going to kill you, uh, which is what he does to uh, Billy's friends, but not Billy himself because because they're pals
0: and this story would have all been over if if Pat had just done him in right there because Billy gave him every chance. B- Billy and those guys, they say they're going to surrender and they walk out of this shack and they start shooting again. Uh really Pat has no reason not to just end Billy right there. He could have gotten away with it, but he lets Billy surrender uh on his own terms and if if he didn't do that then you wouldn't have the rest of the movie
1: thank thank goodness for our sake that he did uh allow Billy to surrender because we would have been deprived of, of uh, several hours of motion picture entertainment he he takes billy uh and and jails him
0: the the soundtrack comes in you mm-hmm. hear that uh spirited la 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 which is uh which song from the soundtrack is that I don't know I forget
1: yeah. We're uh we're we're very good and detailed and scholarly. We're in
0: movie mode, okay? We're in we're in film watchers mode. Who
1: fucking cares? Don't be a bitch.
0: Literally who cares, okay. Uh next uh you see Billy uh in, in imprisoned. Billy under the yoke of the law.
1: Yes. Under under lock and key, and there's a sort of a righteous, pious lawman. Uh, who's very interested in Billy's uh, Billy getting his comeuppance, uh, and Billy's sort of uh, flippant and he uh, says, "Kiss my ass." Yeah, devil make hair, and uh, this this older pious gentleman really wants to rough him up, but Pat again intercedes on Billy's behalf, keeps keeps him from getting too riled up. But yeah, Billy's uh, sitting there playing cards, uh, his foot's all locked up, and then at some point uh, he's left with the sheriff. He walks him out to the outhouse, where? I forget. Billy finds a gun hidden in a newspaper.
0: So much like that famous scene in, in The Godfather, finding a gun in the toilet.
1: Yeah, something not entirely unlike that. Yeah, I guess this, this would have come out just before The Godfather, so maybe this is where uh, Coppola got it from.
0: Where'd he get that gun?
1: It, that was my question. In your version, was it clear who planted the gun there? No. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't clear in my version either, which makes me kind of think that maybe maybe Pat himself. Did Pat do that? You know? I mean, the whole tension of this
0: film centers around Pat's reluctance to do this thing, to actually kill Billy.
1: Right. He's a romantic.
0: He's a romantic being forced to be a drone of the, of the state. Right. And in a way, it's a it's a romance. This whole thing is a romance between Pat and Billy.
1: I, I watched it with uh, Grace, my girlfriend, last night, and she also uh, w- was very invested in the seeming uh, unstated uh, homoeroticism between Pat and Billy.
0: Yeah, I mean, w- you could read it that way. You could read it as simply as a as a, a an intense brotherly affection. But in any case, these two men clearly have a respect for each other and it's keeping one of them from doing his job um does is pat the one who left that gun that would be kind of crazy but uh you know maybe the director's director's cut actually made that clear and elucidated these finer points we'll never know but anyway billy takes this gun and uh does what you can imagine billy the kid would do with with such an opportunity he fucking wrecks shit and um pulls the gun on the sheriff as they're back in the in the jailhouse or whatever and the the sheriff says let me go billy's like can't do that just come up here and the guy ends up turning his back and billy shoots him in the fucking back
1: Yep, yeah, shoots him down, shoots him dead, and then he ends up shooting the uh the older guy as well. Um and the rest of the town that's there is just kind of standing around watching. Pat himself has disappeared I think apparently to go collect taxes or something. Right. Um and um, um yeah, everyone else who's around uh just kind of watches Billy shoot these lawmen down and then one of the guys ends up uh supplying him with a horse I think to to make his escape. Uh and here is where Uh, at least again in my version, we get the first couple glimpses of of our boy as as Alias.
0: Uh, In my version, uh, Alias, uh, well, Bob, is first seen as Billy is singing to himself. He's like taking his handcuffs off and stuff Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. sort of getting himself ready. And uh, that's when you first spot Bob sort of, listening in on on billy singing this sort of body song to himself to the town ostensibly like outside out through the jailhouse window as he's getting ready to make his escape
1: yeah 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 there were for for mine there were numerous kind of weird uh uh just like cuts that uh, jumped back and forth between whatever kids, Billy was doing,
0: the kids playing with the noose, like swinging on it like a swing.
1: There, there was that, and that that was a great shot when like it was shot like kind of uh, facing up, and the kids are swinging around on the noose, and the American flag is like uh, very clearly displayed uh, uh, to the left of the camera, you know, highlighted mm-hmm. in the bright afternoon sun. But yeah, this this uh, this first uh these this first appearance of bob in this portion there there are a lot of like kind of uh cuts back and forth between billy doing whatever he's doing and then bob just kind of standing around like looking uh at billy um there were at least like 3 or 4 uh you know multiple second long shots of you know bob just hanging out uh as if <laughs> as if just to make it very clear to the audience like uh yeah that's that's bob Dylan. just in case you weren't aware uh we're going to show him to you again uh, and if you still haven't picked it up, we're gonna show them to you again, and maybe even right. the fourth time, just to just to make sure that you know that Bob Dylan is in fact in this movie. He
0: is in the movie, and he looks bemused, is how I would say uh, describe his expression. Yeah, he is kind of like almost an idiot savant character, <laughs> like a mysterious, <laughs> uh, village idiot. With great skill, perhaps, of some kind.
1: Deadly at the same time.
0: And yet deadly. Uh, we'll get to that. But uh, anyway, Billy gets on this horse, and he's he's bucked the fuck off of this horse, mm-hmm. which I thought was an interesting choice. Um, then he gets back on, or he gets on a different horse. Uh, yeah, different horse. Uh, kind of strange to just show that at all. I just thought maybe it was an attempt, uh, a gesture to humanize Billy further. Yeah, he's not invincible.
1: Yeah, I think that that makes sense. Uh and and also, I mean, it, he is he is a kid, right? Uh he he died at the age of 21 or 22 or something like that. <laughs>
0: right. Chris Christopherson does not was not 21. Yeah, he was push- uh,
1: he was pushing 40 in this movie. Yeah. I
0: mean, he doesn't look 40 either. He looks like he could be uh 30. Yeah. But um 21 is a little bit of a stretch.
1: Definitely. But yeah, I think that's that's part of what uh, you know. What what's going on here is that uh, Billy is supposed to seem like this fearsome, almost invincible uh, Western outlaw, um, or that's his reputation at least. And yet he's just kind of this uh, this cherub, uh, cherub cherubic, healthy looking lad.
0: Cherubic, yeah.
1: Word of the week. <laughs> um, who uh, who can't even ride a horse without getting bucked off?
0: Right, and then. We catch up with Pat again once more.
1: We do. Yeah, he's uh, well. So in your version, does he go to see his wife?
0: I don't think so.
1: Here we go. Here we go again. Uh, He uh, at at this point, Pat has in in my version, at least gone to uh, check in with his wife, who is a a Hispanic woman, it seems. Um, And uh, they have a bit of a uh, bit of a fight uh, because Pat is not paying her enough attention. Um, and and not helping out around the home enough, uh, he's too committed to his job and his duty, um, and uh, and is is never around uh, enough to uh-huh. to help her help her live her life uh, or help help them live their lives together. Does he have a kid? Uh, no kid, as far as I could see. But I think that was kind of what was what was missing. Is like it it seems like they they uh, had planned to have a kid or his wife wanted to have a kid with him or something, and he. Uh, you know, he's he's too he's too duty bound, too much wow. of a too much of a worker to, um, you know, take the time to to settle down and make that happen.
0: Gosh, do you think that maybe Billy is kind of Pat's surrogate son?
1: You know, I think there there's something to be said for that. Billy is called the kid, but the kid of who? Right or left? Right,
0: right. I mean, it's very interesting th- that scene was included. Um and not in the version that I saw. Um, In the version that I have, after Billy escapes, um, Pat just comes around, uh, tells them to clean up the bodies, gets a shave, and deputizes this other fellow uh, Mm. with the the crazy eye. And he meets Bob. He meets Alias. Bob Dylan, he says, and who are you? And Bob Dylan says, that's a very good question, as he's drinking (laughs) Do you have that scene?
1: I did have that scene. Yeah. So um, yeah,
0: that, that just is what happens after, uh, after Billy's escape in mind, you never see his, his wife. And the next scene in mind after that little interlude where Pat has, uh, a steak and eggs or whatever, and a shave, um, is that he has a meeting with this governor.
1: Yes, uh, the great Jason Robards, uh, a a country uh, classic actor uh, who's in several of Sergio Leone's um, uh, pictures. Um, Right. This this scene kind of reminded me
0: a little bit of the famous, well, every scene in in Chinatown is famous, but (laughs) it reminds me of that scene in Chinatown where Jack Nicholson sits down with Noah Cross at his ranch because you've got this sort of, beautiful setting in this dark sinister atmosphere at the same time pat garrett is he's talking with this this governor about billy needing to go that's sort of the purpose of their meeting the governor says to him he he offers him like 500 dollars pat says you can shove that up your ass and i'll you can give it to me when i kill him i couldn't help but interpret that as sort of like pat garrett being resentful that this guy thinks that Billy the kid can his life is worth a certain sum or something like that
1: yeah yeah I, I i think um the governor is there but he's sitting down with um also included at that meeting are several like um ranchers like business interests and one of them is the one who offers pat a uh, $1000 500 up front um uh, which pat says yeah shove it up your ass Um, But yeah, I think that that is clearly kind of uh, introducing the the conflict within Pat at this point where uh, the law and capital are compelling him to do his duty and and hunt down and shoot this really fun, dynamic uh, uh, person in Billy the Kid who, you know, represents the West and the the true American spirit much more so than the governor or these these cattle interests or whatever uh, for whom Pat is working.
0: Both of these men are bastards. I mean, Pat and Billy are both bastards in their own way. But I suppose that Billy yeah, he does embody in a way a more innocent uh, American ideal. Um even though he is a murderer who really has no principles, he is charming <laughs> and he's he's uh there's something about him that you want to root for and maybe that's a perfect uh character to sort of embody a certain a certain angle of of America of uh, if you want to look at America as a from a historical perspective at a, in a flattering light billy is like the charming convivial rascal convivial of convivial isn't that the word
1: yeah it is a word that's just that's just that's a real five dollar word
0: this is the bob dylan podcast so uh it's interesting that this is the character who who is sort of doomed
1: yeah billy is uh is a that again this this classic american archetype about whom uh, bob has written many songs uh you know the the drifters escape uh for instance on um on uh john wesley harding um and uh he himself is young, but he's an, he's an old type of person uh at the time this movie is taking place uh you know kind of as the as the frontier closes for good or or has just closed um and so this this older wily charismatic kind right. of yeah he's a criminal, but he isn't like a bad guy necessarily um it, that kind of person is being pushed out and really pushed to to extinction by these um these these shittier, crueler men of money who have hired Pat to go after him. Men who aren't necessarily criminals, you know, uh, according to the letter of the law, the way Billy is, but men who are, you know, just as bad, if not worse.
0: I mean, I think they are worse. And anyway, uh, let's, I guess we're, not to wrap uh, well so after after here. pat uh,
1: has uh agreed to hunt down billy uh but sort of uh at the same time uh, you know making his his uh, distaste for the men of money clear um billy is is uh, just kind of out out on a jaunt at this point um uh, you know free again and here's where uh at least in my version uh he and alias uh, uh our our boy bob uh come together for the first time um right Right. Just kind of in a uh, rundown little village where Billy is about to seemingly get, uh, get taken down or shot. Um, but just before that happens, uh, Billy you know, draws, draws, his, uh, draws his revolver and shoots down a couple guys. And Bob throws a knife through a guy's neck.
0: He fucking throws a knife through a guy's neck and then he does a little thumbs up and like <laughs> yeah. winks and it's thumbs like thumbs up is so good. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite parts of the whole movie is just like <laughs> seeing Bob Dylan um do like this very Tarantino violence uh to a man's neck with a knife and then do a little like cute <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> he
1: almost he, he almost seems like at least in this scene uh certainly like he's He's like in another movie or something or like right. the tone, like he's he's deliberately adopting a different kind of tone from everything else that's going on around him.
0: It's like literally Bob Dylan is just told on the set, like, and now's the part where you throw a knife through his neck. And then Bob is like, that's funny <laughs> for me, Bob Dylan, to be doing such a thing on film. It's pretty cool. This is also a scene where they eat slop with big wooden spoons, which is, you know, something you love to see in a Western.
1: One of the classic uh, Western sites, uh, just uh, chowing down on some, like, vague brown soupy mess with a big old wooden spoon.
0: Oh, I guess we also missed the point. Uh, Billy's uh, entrance into this little, this bunkhouse, it's the bunkhouse, as as noted by the song, the bunkhouse theme. Where Billy promptly uh, cocks Harry Dean Stanton.
1: That's right. Yes, a young Harry Dean Stanton.
0: Yeah, he uh, tells Harry Dean to uh, get out of the bed with this um, comely Mexican girl, and uh, Harry's resigned to his fate uh, as being second fiddle, dick-wise.
1: Yeah. And Kristofferson just... Uh, he hops you know, right in there. Takes off all his clothes and hops in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah,
0: the nudity in this movie I found to be, like, very um, kind of charming.
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely... There is, like, a, a decent amount of it, but it's not, like, sexualized. It's, it's like, almost... Uh, it's incidental. It, it's incidental and almost kind of, like, comedic relief in certain situations.
0: Yeah. Anyway, uh, so after Bob... After all that, and after Bob throws the knife through the dude's neck... Um, and just a little thumbs up, <laughs> then we have Pat Garrett again, and he's looking very goth, just all black again, and uh yes. very bummed out, and it's because just as Harry Dean Stanton was cucked by Billy in the last scene, Pat is being cucked by the law, and um all of his he's living a lie. it sucks, yeah, and we've got another shootout. Yes, and this is the one with with knocking on heaven's door.
1: Knocking on heaven's door, exactly. Yeah, uh, which uh, this was, uh, you know, an a, a exciting, dynamic, uh, relatively uh, kind of uh, gunfight here. Um, but uh, you know, when when those those chords for heaven's door keep or, or first kind of show up, and and they're it it, it at least in my version is kind of more instrumental at the beginning, right. and then and then the Same. lyrics finally come in a little while later. Um, you know, you expect it to really be kind of, uh, you know, a big, a big moment. And it's, it, you know, it, it, this is an exciting scene in the film, but it's, you know, like that heaven's door is such a Titanic song that like you expect it to be like the absolute climax of everything. And this is right. just sort of like plopped right in the middle, <laughs> you know, kind of beginning of act two in this movie.
0: Right. I wrote that it feels the use of the song feels kind of too big and too small at the same time somehow.
1: Hmm. Yeah,
0: um, I can you help me out? Like, who are the people being shot here? It's it's people that Pat has has uh, deputized or made part of his effort. Or is that not I, right?
1: Uh, the, so, yeah. So so uh, Pat's got uh, got, you know, a sheriff friend of his and and the sheriff's wife. Uh, who are his uh, his backup, and they are going after what I believe what appears to be you know uh, people that Billy used to run with, trying to get information on where you know wherever Billy is. Right. And rather than give up that information, obviously Billy's gang kind of uh, uh, goes down shooting. Um,
0: this, this is where the film, at least in my version, there's a few instances that are just kind of peppered throughout the film that I think are not so great and it's, it's times when well, the action is a little bit, not that clear about what, who we're watching, what's going down. Right. If there's a coherence issue due to the editing and due to the the general butchering that this film suffered, unfortunately, it, it really comes through in these B plots and these moments where the film just kind of loses a little momentum. Um, not to say that the scene is bad. I just felt a little bit unclear about like what the story was at this point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. I, I, and I think that's, to some degree it's, you know, kind of just the way movies used to be made where it wasn't very clearly enumerated what exactly was happening at all the time. Um, but then I also do think there was some element of, of uh, artistic choice on the part of somebody here, whether it was Peck Peckinpah or whoever was recutting the movie. Um, there, were, there were a couple instances earlier in the movie, I think, um, for me and, and later as well, um, where, like, the dialogue, like, you almost can't even hear what they're talking about in certain um, scenes. Like, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. hard to understand what's being said, which obviously, like, is a, for Robert Altman, is, like, a deliberate uh, artistic, you know, kind of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that seems, that seems kind of what, like what should be happening here or what's trying to happen here. This is a more, you know, it's a, a revisionist Western or whatever. It's, it's deliberately more realistic and more violent and, and more, uh, emotionally resonant, um, than the, you know, cowboy stories from a couple decades before this. So that seems like a technique that's supposed to just kind of like throw you in and place you in this reality more so than, um, uh, than the Lone Ranger or whatever. Um, Yeah,
0: I mean, it it does have a sort of uh, general realism to it. Um, And unfortunately, the sometimes slightly muffled vocals, vocals, used to talking about music, the sometimes slightly muffled dialogue, I was not able to be helped by the uh, closed captioning which was completely fucked up for whatever reason <laughs> Amazon Jesus Christ get your shit together.
1: You watch movies with closed captioning?
0: I have been watching a lot of things with closed captioning. Like when I've been watching The Sopranos again on my what fourth time watching it. I like to watch it with closed captioning. Sometimes you get little things from the closed captioning. You wouldn't have learned about the script otherwise. Yeah, I guess that's true. An interesting thing in uh The Sopranos like that I just noticed was like, well, I can't say it <laughs> anyway. The use of uh knocking on heaven's door happens to its credit in a very dramatic way where a guy's shot in in the gut and just sort of wanders off from this gunfight because he knows he's done for and he's he stands by the by this lake or a uh, small body of water,
1: yeah, river. I think and
0: a river, yeah, and uh, the sun is sort of waning and it's uh. It's pretty sad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it, that that part definitely does uh, does work. Uh, and th- there are a couple of really nice, uh, very nice, you know, shots, as you would expect from a Western like this. Um, but a lot of stuff like at um, at dusk or sunrise, there's a, 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 a. I don't know if it's in this scene. Um, I, th- I think it might be close to this scene, maybe right after. But there's a shot where Pat is, like, riding riding a horse and um, kind of silhouetted against a dusky background. Then, like, he's riding the horse alongside some sort of pond or something, and you can see the horse reflected in the pond against the background that's in the sky up above. It's really really nice stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, visually very, very arresting. But I just, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Heaven's Door being in a movie, like, it feels like it should... Feels like it should really, really count for something, and this is this is good for what it is, but it's not it's not what I would have uh, pictured. I think going into it,
0: you can't blame them though, because at the point of the, them doing this movie, they did not have any idea that this was to be a classic song. Yeah, I guess that's true. That's true. But if this movie was remade now and they use knock or any movie comes out now and uses knocking on heaven's door, like they wouldn't. Miss the opportunity to milk that for every fucking second it's worth. Like they would know that that's going to have to be some pseudo slow-mo dramatic moment.
1: Right. Yeah. No, that's a good point.
0: But, uh, moving on the, the thing that happens next is, um, the, the famous chase, of turkeys at least in my version
1: the moment the moment we were all waiting for from the very beginning uh the (laughs) billy
0: and bob chasing turkeys on their horse they're rounding them up
1: yep they just happen across a pack of turkeys out in the desert and uh and they say hey look there's uh there's some turkeys we should we should go get them uh
0: that's desert smoked turkey that's some of the finest turkey that you can have
1: sure is New new mexico turkey uh, and Bob, uh, Bob, to his credit, manages to uh, lasso one and uh, right. and reel him in. And God bless just, him. He's you know he's sitting there on the back of his horse, turkey in hand, uh, riding alongside uh, uh, Billy the Kid. A Thanksgiving miracle. Then these guys come by, and there's
0: another shootout. Just shootout after shootout. They have to sort of hide down in these weeds. They kill most of the guys, right? Bob and Billy.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: The next note I have is just Pat looking epic again. So I don't know what happened in between there and the, the turkeys.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think the main the main thing that happens now, at least in my version, is uh, and this kind of sets up the the third act that we're about to segue into is Pat kind of comes along or comes into contact with uh, John Poe, um, his his new deputy. Um, replacing the guy who had been killed earlier. This is a younger man who's uh, clearly a little more motivated by fame and money um, and is desperate to hunt down Billy. He doesn't have any sort of fatherly connection to him the way that Pat does.
0: Fatherly or brotherly or or romantically. Or romantically. Right. What He doesn't give a fuck about Billy the Kid.
1: Yeah, uh, and this this guy John Poe also uh, this I guess only applies really to mine, but this is who we will discover, or or who who you will come to realize is the man who assassinated Pat at the very beginning of the movie.
0: Damn, I um, I can't believe that the theatrical version had none of that.
1: Yeah, What
0: the fuck.
1: Which I think really underscores what's going on here. You know, this man that uh, works alongside Pat to reel Billy in. Uh, ends up he sold him out from under him yeah it, he, he just it was
0: he, all a crock of shit from the beginning yep pat you didn't have to do this jesus christ i i guess before we go into the final act i have to mention a very weird uh personal fact it's so like as a kid when i was like uh a little a boy of a nine eight or nine or ten one of my good friends at the time his last name is garrett He's literally a descendant of Pat Garrett.
1: Really?
2: Yes.
0: Not only that, but it turns out um, my astrological signs are the exact same as Billy the Kid's.
1: Wow! So you have uh, you have spiritual connections to to both Pat and Billy.
0: Isn't that strange? Yeah, straight up, uh, a, rel- a, a descendant oh, of Pat. Pat Garrett, and and here's me with the same uh, rising moon, and sun sign as one William Bonnie Billy the Kid.
1: I'll be damned. That's
0: Sagittarius sun, Scorpio moon, Capricorn rising. Anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, so after uh, after John Poe joins up with Garrett, uh, the traitorous uh, John Poe, Billy ends up in a uh, little... um uh, he makes a visit. Yeah, he makes a visit uh, so, to is this... It his-
0: It's not his family.
1: Yeah, I think it's his friend, something, I don't know. Someone that he knows. Some
0: folks that he knows.
1: And uh, unfortunately discovers that there's another another sheriff or deputy or something.
0: Yes, the guy who who Pat had sort of recruited very early in the film. Right, with the weird Um, eye. The guy with the weird eye, who is played by...
1: Jack Elam
0: played by Jack Elam, very very singular looking man. I I was watching this movie and I was I couldn't help but think like what must this guy's life have been like? Probably has like a cool, had a cool house in the Hollywood Hills, but he just like looks like this prospector cuz he's in all these westerns presumably and like that's such an interesting uh thing to think about. Western character actors and their lives.
1: Yeah, he, uh, I'm looking at his uh, IMDb right now. He was actually in Once Upon a Time in the West as well, along with uh, Jason Robards. So this movie, this movie is packed, chock full of uh, classic Western stars.
0: He's great in it. Um, so Billy sits down at the table and immediately realizes that he's in the wrong place at the wrong time because a guy who's meant to, kill him is opposite him at the table or at the head of the table rather. And, uh, they eat a little bit awkwardly. And then, uh, it's, there's nothing to be done, but to go out and have a good old fashioned draw. That's all you can do um, in
1: this sort of situation.
0: And, uh, Billy shoots him at eight paces when they've decided upon 10. Is that right?
1: Yeah, well, Billy doesn't take a single pace. Uh, the, uh, the sheriff uh, starts pacing, uh, presumably to ten paces out, but as soon as he takes a one step away, Billy just turns and aims his gun at him. And uh, the sheriff also uh, does uh, uh, dastardly turn on Billy at eight paces, but because Billy has already prepared himself for this underhanded maneuver, uh, he's ready to just pull the trigger as soon as the sheriff turns around.
0: See, I, d- I didn't catch exactly how that went down. So they both were f- doing bullshit.
1: They were both going to cheat each other, but Billy understood that this guy was going to cheat him and this guy didn't understand that Billy was going to cheat him. So Billy gets the upper hand.
0: Billy shoots him down and and again, a weirdly tender moment between enemies. Yeah. Where in his dying moments the uh the other shootist kind of Takes the L gracefully and goes. Uh, I, he, I, what does he say? See, I didn't have fucking closed captioning.
1: Uh, I don't know. I don't know what he says, but Billy says. Uh, Billy says something along the lines of like, you know, you you didn't take ten paces or like you, you fired too early or something like that. Uh, and and the the sheriff just kind of uh, accepts his uh, impending death uh then this also uh in my version at least uh, marks the return of heaven's door um not with any lyrics but just the, the chords just the the theme um as this guy dies so was that was that the same thing for you i think so yeah at at that point we're we're off towards uh the final confrontation
0: well, there's the scene where Pat is in this uh saloon, this grocery or something right, and uh the the guy who owns the place is kind of uh chatting with Pat saying like, do you hear about that new broad who came into town? She is a huge ass. <laughs> and he's like, there's nothing greater than that. That's so, that's so awesome. And Pat's just like, <laughs> Pat is like deeply depressed at this point. <laughs> Doesn't care about like the new whore with huge cans and, um, uh, big badonk and so he's just kind of like yeah whatever and uh bob dylan uh alias uh is also just there and this is one of the great performance moments for bob because he throughout this whole uh section is just like reading aloud the cans on the wall and going beans "Beans, spinach
1: (laughs) tomatoes beans succotash beans beef stew beans really really the the kind of star making turn i think from this uh from this movie for bob uh, this is this is the scene that <laughs> that that we were all waiting for from the very beginning is hearing bob just name off types of dry goods uh in cans on a shelf these
0: are wet goods. i guess
1: they are wet aren't they yeah they're in cans
0: these are the some of the wettest things you can eat <laughs> beans succotash beans i mean i i feel like i should go back and take a drink every time he says beans in the scene.
1: Yeah, that could be if you're looking for a, a Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid drinking game, uh, the, the drinking game is anytime Bob says beans, which will happen for virtually none of the movie except for these uh, like 90 seconds uh, in, in which, which it
0: happens like 40 times. Right,
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, um, and then Pat, Pat just fucking... Uh, Shoots this guy dead. Um he he shoots presumably one of Billy's buddies. I kind of lost the plot here. Yeah,
1: I think uh, Alias Bob and and this uh, these other guys that are in there in, in the bar with Pat. Uh, these were you know uh, some of the guys that Billy was running with earlier, and then split off uh, from at one point. And then these guys all kind of uh, pick the wrong saloon to wander into, where Pat is sitting there drinking himself to death. And uh, and Pat is under you know he he's aware of of these guys' reputation, and so he toys with them. Makes Bob go read the cans, uh, and then ends up, uh, yeah, shooting shooting one guy. Um, he also he has Bob do several other things. Wait, in, in he my makes version.
0: Bob read the cans.
1: Yeah, he uh, he he's sort of like toying with them all. Uh, Pat is toying with them all in my version, where initially he makes Bob uh, uh, smack a guy in the back of the head with a shotgun.
0: What the fuck? Uh,
1: and knocks him out of a chair. Um, so first, first we get to see, uh, Bob do that with the butt of a gun. Uh, and then after that, uh, Pat has Bob, uh, uh, tuck an older man's hat brim low down over his eyes. Um, uh, so that he can't, so this older man can't see anything. I um, got and-
0: none of that. And I don't, I don't even know if maybe I just wasn't paying that close of attention, but I'm, I i do not know if I saw a point where Pat made Bob read the beans.
1: Yeah, and then after after he has Bob do those two things, he says, you know, go now now go on over there and uh read me everything that's on the shelf. And while Bob is doing that, then Pat uh, has this confrontation with this other no good nick uh at the table that ends up in uh Pat, you know, shooting him in the chest. Damn. We're going kind of long here. Yeah, so we've <laughs> <laughs> spent more than enough time prattling on about this Look, it's it's
0: less than the the length of the film. So uh, yeah, how would you that's expect fair. anybody to discuss a film shorter Than the length of the film. And this is a question for you, the listener. How could you possibly expect us to do uh, this any quicker? What Could you do this any quicker?
1: Yeah, we're the ones uh, doing it, so you're going to have to be happy with what you get.
0: Maybe someone will do this better than us at a certain point uh, later, but right now we're the ones doing it, so just, you know, open a soda and drink, your soda and have or have a snack the next thing that happens is um pat uh ends up in a whorehouse and he slaps a woman and then and he also he fucks
1: yeah he has a pretty good time a whole a whole cast of uh of sex workers
0: a bevy a bevy of sex working women he has a be- they bathe him yep He's shameless. Uh, Pat's really a sad figure at this point in the film. Why isn't he just like killing Billy? Why didn't he kill Billy when he had the chance? It's because he's hung up, I guess. Whether it's some version of uh, fatherly, brotherly, or uh, sexually love, he's he's not trying to kill Billy right quick. He's putting it off.
1: Yeah, he seems to be a little directionless, I would say, Uh, especially, you know, in context of that earlier scene with his uh, his wife that we talked about that you ended up missing.
0: Which I think is a fascinating inclusion and should be in the film. I think it makes the movie a lot sadder, too. It adds more weight and drama to the fact that Pat is so caught up in this mess. Yeah. That he has a wife at home.
1: Yeah, get home to your uh, get home to your wife, dude. Anyways, uh the sheriff or deputy that Pat had teamed up with uh, earlier, uh Poe, uh confronts him in this whorehouse, uh in bed with all these women. Um and uh and they end up uh, riding on at this point. Pat has gotten some information from one of these women about where Billy is. Uh and they I believe they from there, you know, head out to Fort Sumner uh which is where Billy is at. He's also uh getting down with uh with a woman with a really nice uh, long uh, uh braids in her hair um wearing kind of a cool poncho. Did we Very- skip the
0: part where Billy um Billy ends up uh confronting a robbery in in progress?
1: Oh that's right yeah there was that that one point earlier uh where yeah there was a robbery uh and um a woman was about to be raped it seemed um mm-hmm. by a series of outlaws and Billy comes upon them and shoots them all dead um uh, illustrating that he has some some capacity for goodness or that he is he's not he's not a, a bad guy out to uh, do everyone harm necessarily
0: no he's he's not a an outlaw in, in every respect. He actually has some decency, um, a a sense of responsibility to the, to the people who are just victims of senseless violence. Yes. So as Billy, uh, gets it in, Pat is waiting with his guys. They're approaching the, uh, casita or whatever the, whatever you call this. (laughs) Yeah.
1: and there's a final showdown.
0: Yeah, it's about to go down and calling it a showdown, it feels a little false because really it's an ambush.
1: Yeah, that's true. It is it is sort of a cowardly way of uh, of bringing Billy's life to a close. There's no there's no duel, there's no big uh shootout or anything. Uh, you know, Billy just ends up getting shot in the back basically. Well,
0: he says he says es, which means who's there. Yeah. In Spanish. Um it's not lost on me uh and i'm sure not on you that if we are to have a reading of this film where, where we take the the Homer Eroticism to its logical end point it seems fitting that pat would would finish billy off as he's most vulnerable and uh shirtless and uh <laughs> just was making love to a woman in a private moment it's a very weirdly intimate way for for billy to to get his final uh to get shot in the
1: chest yeah pat is uh pat is is motivated here by his unrequited love for billy and once he sees billy uh acting upon uh his billy's uh heterosexual desire with a woman uh pat is it flies into a uh uh, love fueled rage and just cuts him down mercilessly. Uh, once he once he realizes that he'll never he'll never get uh, the love that he so desires,
0: and then he shoots a he shoots the mirror at his own ref, he shoots at his own reflection.
1: Mm-hmm. Clearly, kind of uh, illustrating uh, his own sense of self loathing um, at uh, at at being forced to uh, cut down Billy like this
0: to kill such a beautiful man
1: yeah and that's reinforced with the uh the very last shot um when with pat riding off into the sunset again another beautiful beautiful image um his dark and shaded oh. figure uh drawing off into the colorful distance of the west um purple and there's a little kid uh throwing throwing rocks at him as he's as he's riding out of town
0: yeah this little kid as pat rides off into the Sort of desolate but beautiful uh, purple horizon. This little kid is throwing rocks at him, just like instinctively uh, hates this man who he probably just recognizes as a, another cop.
1: Yeah. He's, uh, you know, who's, who's to say, really, at the end of all of this, that anyone would have been any better off with Pat killing Billy uh, as opposed to Billy killing Pat?
0: if if all cops are bastards what what better film to elucidate that point
1: well said it's a per, it's a perfect viewing for the moment
0: absolutely and uh, another thing that comes to mind is that this film feels in a weird way like a distorted mirror version of no country for old men if there was a movie version of knocking on heaven's door i sort of think of no country for old men as being like the best movie of that in a way mm. Mm. and 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 this movie uh, these movies have a similar have a like a kind of odd mirror relationship i won't say more about that just because that seems to be like something that you could do a whole other episode on i would just i would recommend watching both films actually i think that there's some like interesting convergence or parallel themes going on there
1: yeah yeah, I, I think you're right. There's definitely, uh, I would imagine that the Coens were very much inspired by not only this, but, you know, the other Paw, Westerns, Wild Bunch and stuff like that with uh, no country. Um, uh, well, on that note, this is like the longest episode that we've done about something that isn't even a Bob Dylan album. I'm going to cut it down. Uh,
0: this, will, this is going to be a five minute episode. Somehow I'll make it uh, digestible.
1: That's, uh, that's, that's editing magic. We'll always, we we can always fix it in post.
0: Yeah. Uh, a thing that uh, of all episodes to mention editing, this is the one because Jesus God, this is editing (laughs) monstrosity. Uh, although in my experience watching the theatrical cut, I thought it was pretty good.
1: Yeah, man, yeah, I, uh, I I was uh, very happy with the motion picture uh, in uh, in general. I'm I'm a fan of westerns, although I haven't seen nearly uh, as many as I should. Um, we, and this we gotta was, watch uh, more. Yeah, I agree. Maybe we can uh, start doing uh, a western podcast, also. Yeah, why not? Yeah, we we don't have enough uh, time to just prattle on endlessly about stupid bullshit that no one cares about.
0: No, no, no. We we actually we we don't have time to do that because we're very busy. Um. Now, we'll, our Western podcast comes out in a couple weeks. I give this movie a confident 2 stars. Even in its uh sort of fuck it up form, I appreciate what it was going for and I I'm excited to see the director's cut hopefully soon.
1: Yeah, I I I will concur with you on this one. We'll we'll uh we'll we'll reach a, a agreement on this star rating which we've had a hard time doing in the past as as all of our loyal listeners know, if
0: it's your first episode, uh, you know this is the well. First of all, terrible first episode to listen to. But yeah, I don't know why you would pick this one. Uh, we we go by the three star system, like the Michelin Man. This has been Jokerman at the movies. Thank you for uh, um, for giving that this this first foray um, into the popcorn uh, world of film your your full attention. It's really kind.
1: Indeed. And uh, uh, we've got a nice one-two punch coming up between Planet Waves and Before the Flood. Exciting material getting into the middle of the 70s.
0: That's right. That's actually some really good stuff that's happening. I'm thrilled.
1: All right. Well, join us next time when we'll actually talk about Bob Dylan music on the Bob Dylan podcast.
0: Yeah. uh, Bob Dylan's pretty good in this. Yeah. Joker, man.